Now, presenting live from 401 Maplewood Drive in Jupiter, Florida. Join our family every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m. Today's message brought to you by Pastor Ben Pierce. Uh, we've been teaching this series called Heart for the House, and we started a few weeks ago. My wife actually kicked it off with a, a message called I Am a Product of the Church. And she told a little bit about her story, how she grew up in an alcoholic uh, home. Her father actually passed away last year uh, from complications of alcoholism. And, and she just grew up in a rough place. They were in and out of homes. He was in and out of jail, all those kind of things. And, and the church of God in the city that she grew up in came around her and and poured into her and loved on her. And she today is a product of that. Those people had a heart for the the house of God and they put their effort, their energy, their lives into it. And it changes people's lives. As we started to get into this series about having a heart for the house or a heart for the things that God has a heart for, we started to look at at us, at Generation Church and, and what is our heart like? But how much of a heart do we have for, for God? And how much of a heart do we have for each other? And so I want to welcome you to the next installment of this series. Uh, today we're going to have a good time. I believe that this message, while simple, is profound. It's almost so simple that sometimes we miss it. And so I want to welcome you. If you're joining us by video this morning, can we welcome all of those joining us online? So glad you guys have tuned in. I want to invite you to come and be a part of a service live and in person right here at Generation Church. So we started in this series talking about what does it take to break the bondage off of a city, to break the, the power of the devil over a region, over a city. And, and I was reading in the book of Isaiah months ago, and I read Isaiah 10, 27, and it said that the anointing of God or the power of God is what destroys the yoke of bondage. And so I began to ask the Lord, I said, well, Lord, if the anointing of God is what destroys bondage over entire cities or regions, I, I asked him, I said, well, who did you anoint? And the Lord told me, I anointed the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And that's what we find in scripture. Now, I know the words prophets, priests, and kings are, are not very well used today. They're kind of abstract and old school. But what we saw last week and the week before is that scripture tells us that you and me and all of us who are called according to God's purposes, all of us who are children of God, are prophets, priests, and kings. We function in those roles. And so we started to look at, well, what does that look like? So someone who has a gifting, a prophetic gifting, is a person who, who thinks like this. Well, what is God saying to man? What is God's message for my generation? What is the word of the Lord for this year? That's, that's people who think on a prophetic term. People like Billy Graham is a prophetic person in our world. He's thinking, what is God saying to a nation? And then he delivers that word. And each of us are called to be that. The priestly role in which we are all called to be thinks about, well, how does man speak to God? What does our worship look like to God? How well are we doing? Are we, are we bringing a sweet uh, sacrifice of praise to the Lord? So one is, what is God saying to man? And the other is, what is man saying to God? And then the last of the three roles is the role of a king. The role of a king looks at, at the interaction between people. 
man to man, not God to man or man to God, but man to man. Uh, the role of a king is, is concerned with like, well, what does a church budget look like? Do we have enough money to build a bigger place for all of these people that are getting born again? Do, do we have the right child care protection in our kids' church? And, and those types of people are thinking about the processes and the structures of, of this thing that we call church. And some of you guys, as I'm speaking that, you're identifying with that. Every single one of us are called to those three roles, prophets, priests, and kings. My hope today is that I would unlock for you the role of a priest. You know, the church for a long time made a priest just a person, and you had to go to confessional, and you had to do all of those kind of things. But as we, the church began to progress and grow, we realized that we're all priests. We don't need a priest. You are a priest. You can mediate your own relationship between you and God. And so today I want to unlock that for you. How does that operate in your life? How do you, uh, you operate your worship to God and bring that to him as a sweet-smelling sacrifice? So we started to look at, at the people of God about 2,500 years ago in a city not too different than our city of West Palm Beach And 2,500 years ago, the people of God, they began to get a heart for the house of God. And there was a guy who was a prophet. His name was Haggai. And he stood up and he said, whoa, wait a minute, people. We have been putting our emphasis on our house and we have neglected God's house. And he began to speak to the people. In just a few months time, he began to turn an entire generation And then Haggai had a a, a gentleman who followed after him. Haggai was a prophet. The next guy came. His name was Ezra, and he was a priest. Now, these guys were prophets and priests, and we'll talk about Nehemiah next week, who was a king. But you know, they didn't start out as prophets, priests, and kings. They were just normal, average, everyday people like me and you. There was nothing special about them. Ezra became a priest, but he wasn't a priest. He wasn't the high priest. He wasn't anything special. He was just willing to do what God was talking to him about. And today, I believe there are people in this place who you have a dominant gifting, a priestly gifting. You're you're concerned about what does our worship look like? What are we bringing to God? Are we discipling people effectively? Is our worship reaching people? Is it, here, is it reaching the, here, the, the ears of God? And today I believe God wants to unlock for you maybe that gifting inside of you. So they began to work together over a 120-year span. Haggai prophesied, Ezra was a priest, and Nehemiah was the king. And so today I want to pick up with Ezra's story, a normal, average, everyday guy. In this time, Haggai, when he prophesied, he, he really spurred the people of God to rebuild a temple. You know, the people of God, they'd been in bondage uh, in a place called Babylon. It, it is, um, it's a city that is indicative of evil. It, it could be termed the city of the devil. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, prophetic through all scripture. And they had been carried away into captivity And God released them out of that captivity, out of this place called Babylon, and they found that their city was in ruins. And Haggai began to prophesy. He began to speak God's word to that generation. Let's rebuild it. And they rebuilt, first and foremost, the temple of God. Now, the temple of God back then was bricks and mortar. The temple of God today is people. The scripture tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that that he resides inside of us. When somebody gives their life to God, they become the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
And so Ezra's job, Haggai's job was to rebuild the temple. Ezra's job was to get the temple worship working. And that's what we're going to talk about today is we're rebuilding people's lives at Generation Church. 287 people have given their lives to Jesus this year alone in services. 287 people. Thank you. So we're rebuilding temples. So the question we have to ask ourselves is not, are we rebuilding temples? We're doing a great job of that. The question to ask ourselves today is, how are we helping those rebuilt temples bring their worship to God? Are we operating in our priestly roles? See, the Old Testament is what we would call a type and a shadow. It's a, it's a symbolism. It's a roadmap of, of what was established thousands of years ago, and it points to what we're supposed to be doing today. So the role of the prophet, the priest, and the king laid the foundation in an old covenant so that it could actually be accomplished in this new living covenant that we live in. So how are we operating in the role of a priest? The temple is now restored in Ezra's day, and the scripture tells us that Ezra served the Lord as a priest. And because he did that, he provoked an entire generation to focus their hearts on God and to continue the work that Haggai started. Ezra chapter 6. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible or on the screen behind me, Ezra chapter 6 and verse 14. It says, so the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. And they built and finished the temple. And it was finished according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and and Artaxerxes, the kings of Persia or the kings of Babylon. Now that the temple is restored and, and people's lives are getting saved, what do we do as a congregation? What is our priestly role? I have for you today three simple points. Three simple points on how to have a heart for the house of God and develop the priestly part of who you are, that you're called to be. Developing a priestly heart for God's house. Ezra chapter 7, verse 8. It says, And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which is in the seventh year of the king, on the first day of the month, and he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God that was upon him. For Ezra had prepared to seek, had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach the statutes and the ordinances in Israel. So as we kind of unpack this, if you're following along on your fill-ins, the first fill-in that you have today on how to develop a priestly heart for the house of God is a heart for the house begins with a heart that seeks God. A heart that seeks God. Now, let me unpack this a little bit for you because, like I said, sometimes it's so simple we miss it. You know, when I say a heart that seeks God, our first thoughts turn to like, well, how am I seeking God? If I say, are you seeking God, Don Fay, then you'll say, you'll look at your own life and say, well, yeah, I'm praying, I'm spending time, that kind of thing. But there's something different about how Ezra sought God. There was something different about his heart for the house that it wasn't just about him. You know, something has happened in modern day church. Modern day church has become about us. It's about the coffee. It's about the comfort. It's about the AC. The music was too loud. The carpet was too pink and the coffee was too burnt. And, and, you know, it's just become about us. But for a generation of people that want to make an eternal impact, it's not about us. 
Seeking God is not about my prayer time and my, my word time and my worship time. And it wasn't that way for Ezra. It wasn't just that. See, a person who seeks God, who has a heart for God's house, seeks God not only for themselves, but for others. See, Ezra said that he had prepared his heart to seek God, and he had prepared to teach all of the other people the same things. We just read it. And he prepared to teach everybody else how to seek God. And I believe this is a critical uh, part of how we develop a heart for the house of God in these days. That, that our church is not just about what I'm getting, but it's about what I'm giving. And it's not just about how I'm seeking, it's how others are seeking. That is the heart of a priest, is that it's, it's someone who gathers the people together and helps them grow. And I believe God wants to unlock that for us today, that our church experience would not just be about me. That when I come through those doors in the back, that, that yes, God is going to meet my needs. He's going to speak to me. I'm going to enjoy his presence. But when I come through those back door, my eye is not on God for me. My eye is on somebody else. And how do I lead them? How do I help them learn how to seek God? How do I help them learn how to be everything that God has called them to be? When the people of God stand up as priests, even the world begins to take note. The king of Babylon actually paid for the work of the priest. I think this is interesting because we live in a day and age of separation of church and state where the state doesn't want any involvement in the church. But that's not the way it was. It always was. It says that the king of Babylon funded the work of the ministry. Now think about this. Let me unpack this for you. An evil king over an evil city that is indicative of the devil and his city and that king paid to reach people for God. Look at this, Ezra chapter 7 and verse 21. This is the king speaking. He wrote letters. He said, and I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, I issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the region beyond the river that whatever Ezra the priest, this ordinary guy who just started to work in his gifting in his talents. That Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, whatever he needs, whatever he requires of you, let it be done diligently. Let them pay up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat. Not sure what that is. 100 baths of wine. I'm not sure what that is, but it sounds kind of fun, doesn't it? Okay. Anyway, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribed limit. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it diligently be done for the house of God of heaven. This is a worldly king saying, let it be done. He actually says in his letter, let it be paid for by my treasury. Now, I look at that and I think, what is it that caused this king who did not know God to want to pay for the work of God out of his treasury. And I began to think about it, and I began to ask the Lord, and this is what the Lord shared with me. It wasn't the king. It wasn't the Lord. It was the people. There was something that happened in the heart of those people in that day that stirred up such a fuss that the kings and the rulers took note. And there was so much passion for, for teaching people how to, how to worship God. So much passion for rebuilding the temple. So much passion for the heart of God in that day. That kings 
who did not know the Lord began to write checks so that those people could know God and even began to issue decrees. If there are people who don't know God, then you, you need to share it with them. I think about our modern day. What if, what if there was a church, a, a body of believers who were so passionate about what God was doing in their place, had a heart for their house so much that the city of West Palm Beach took note. The town of Jupiter, which has been so gracious to us, the town of Jupiter took note and says, man, that generation church, they're really touching people's lives. What can we do to help them? But you know what? Municipalities and cities and towns, they don't do that if the people are not excited first. If the people aren't operating in what God has given them to operate in is their calling. You know, if, if, if church is just like my spiritual time card, I just come and punch it and I just did my duty for the week. And there's no real passion in it. And we're, we're not operating in our gifts and talents and callings. And it's just become dead religion. Dead religion. See, we got to have a heart to seek after God, and we have to have a heart to help other people seek after God. Verse 25, and it says, And you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who may judge the people who are in the region beyond the river, that all such as know the laws of your God and teach those who do not know them. This is coming from the mouth of the king. Number two on your fill-ins, a heart for the house only develops by serving the house. A heart for the house is built first by seeking God and helping other people seek God. But a heart for the house only develops when you serve God. Now, I know we know this. Like, okay, I need to serve in the cafe. Somebody has to, you know, hand out the bulletins and the ushers and do all those kind of things. And, and like I said, I think sometimes it's so simple we miss it. But get this, Ezra chapter 8 and verse 15 Ezra says this, he says, Now I gathered them by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days, and I looked among the people and the priests, and I found none of the sons of Levi. Now the sons of Levi were the priests of the day. It's what, what we term the Levitical priesthood. It was the Old Testament priest. They were, they were, Levi was one of the 12 tribes of Judah. And so his entire family and lineage, they were supposed to be the priests. Now, today we are modern day priests. We are all Levites to the Lord. And so Ezra is here. He's trying to, to rebuild the ruined city. He's trying to, to start a revival in his generation. He's trying to do something that makes a mark for eternity. And he looks around and he says, where are the Levites? Where are the people that are going to do the priestly things of the kingdom of God? And they were not to be found. You know, some things don't change too much over 2,500 years. I think we could look around at the church globally, and I'm not mad at the church. I love the church. I'm a supporter of the church, but I also am a person who wants to push the church forward to higher levels of efficacy. Now, I think if we look around the world today, I think we could say the same thing. Where are the people that are living like modern-day priests? You know, there was something that happened in the book of Revelation chapter 2. Jesus talks about this. He made an address to seven churches in Asia. And in the second chapter, Jesus makes this statement. He says, there's this doctrine of the Nicolaitans of which thing I hate. Now, how many of you guys know if Jesus says he hates something, that's probably pretty bad, right? You know, and so Jesus says there's this doctrine. So the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is this. It is the putting of the people in the pews... And the posting of a pastor on a pedestal. 
that we would put this single person in a place of authority and give them all of this responsibility and separate them or segregate them from the people. And the people would be cut loose of responsibility and they would be made to just be pew setters. Jesus said, that's one thing that I hate. And something happened in the church along the way in history. And that's, that's kind of the testimony in a lot of places that there's this pastor. He's supposed to do everything. And then there's these people and we just sit in the pew. We elevate this man. But the reality is I put my pants on one leg at a time. Just like you do. I may have a different function as a pastor, but I'm nothing any different or special than you. Your prayers are just as effective as my prayers. You are a priest just as much as I am a priest. And so Ezra in his day, he's trying to stir the people up so that they would operate. He says, where are the Levites? Where are the people who are are gathering us together and showing us how to worship God effectively? What has happened to them? He says, verse 16, then I sent Eleazar and men of understanding and a bunch of names I don't want to pronounce today. And then verse 17, and I gave them a command for Edo, the chief man of the place of Casiphia. And I told them that they should say to Edo and his brethren that they should bring us servants for the house of God. A heart for the house develops through serving. Let me unpack that a little bit more for you. It's more than just serving coffee in a cafe. It's more than just being an usher. It's more than just doing what God has put in front of you to do. If you think about these sons, here's your revelation for the day. This will be at no extra charge. If you think about the sons of Levi, there were three of them. The first son's name was Merari. The second son's name was Gershon. And the third son's name was Kohath. Now, Merardi was charged by Moses when they came out of Egypt. He was charged as a son of Levi with carrying the posts and the pillars of the tabernacle. That's where the presence of God was. That's what he did. Gershon was charged with covering the curtains and the tent coverings. That's what his family, his entire lineage, that's what they were supposed to do. Just carry the curtains. And then Kohath, his family, was charged with carrying the holy things, the things of the temple the Ark of the Covenant, the showbread, all of those kind of things. And those three sons, they were tasked with the tabernacle or the temple, the presence of God. If you translate that through all the way to modern day church, those same roles exist. The people were so excited because they came out of bondage of, of Egypt and they made carts for these three sons and their families. And so Moses gave them carts and he, he came to Merardi and he said, Here, here's four carts for you because you're carrying the posts and the pillars. They're, they're heavy. Rob knows this. He builds buildings for a living. The cement walls are heavy. You need to have some help to carry that. So he gave him four carts. And then Moses came over and he looked at Gershon and he said, Well, you're supposed to carry the curtains and you're supposed to carry the coverings. Here's two carts. You don't really need four, just two. And he looked at Kohath and he said, Kohath, you don't get anything. Everybody say, aw. Poor Kohath. The reason why Kohath didn't get any carts is because the holy things of God have to be carried by hand. Now, in order for the holy things of God to be carried by the right people and carried by hand, somebody has to push a cart with pillars and posts in it. Somebody has to carry the tent coverings. Somebody has to carry 
all of the curtains. Somebody has to serve the house of God so that the person who is called like Kohath to carry the holy of the holies is able to do it. You translate that through to modern day church and, and the p- pillars and posts of modern day churches are people like the Diaz family who come here every single week with Taizi and with uh, Kathy Morris and they clean this facility every single week. They come in and, and they're the ones responsible for sugaring your kids up with all the mints that are around the foyer so you can take that up with them. They're, they're responsible for all the amazing lotions and soaps that are in the bathroom. Like I put the energy lotion on and I'm like this for three days. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. It just, I smell like a girl for three days straight. It's, it's great. Those are pillars and posts. Those are our structures and frameworks. They're, they're trusses. They're, they're the things that hold up the building of God. And you have a part as a priest to play in that. There are people here today that God has given you the ability to be a structure in the house of God today. That you would carry, you would be structural, you would carry pillars and posts. How many of you guys want to join the cleaning team ministry right now? Nobody, right? Those are, those are things that are heavy. It's heavy to carry. But how many of you guys know that without the pillars and posts, there is no temple? There's no place to hang the coverings. The coverings and the curtains, those are indicative of the systems in the house of God. You know, it's, it's people like Mary Morello who writes, handwrites notes to people when they come to Generation Church. Isn't it good? How many of you guys got a handwritten note when you first came here? Isn't that nice? You get a handwritten note and you don't get some like mass produced thing. Those are the systems, people that follow up with new folks, people like the tech team and all of these guys that that put these videos together and all the worship, they're they're systems, they're carrying the curtains, they're carrying the tent coverings, and and it takes people to do that influx with Stephen, all of the people that are coming with the ushers and the greeters and the parking, all of those teams, they make an impact. But how do you guys know that without that, you have a naked temple with no coverings, no systems? Look at me very closely. Every single one of you have a part to play. Every single one of you. And when you play your part, you hold up your post or pillar, you put on your covering, then it allows the ones who are called to carry by hand the holy things to do what they're called to do. And it is those holy things that produce change in people's lives. I can't spend the time praying for you if I'm handwriting all the notes. I can't spend time asking God for fresh vision about where we're going to go, who we're going to minister to, what's the culture of our church going to be if I have to clean the bathrooms all the time. We had 581 people here last weekend. 581 people. Of those 581 people that attended church last weekend, 124 of them served in some capacity. It's 21.3%, kind of the average around the church world. But I want to spur you on just a little bit. What would happen if, if a church of 581 people exceeded the mediocre national average? I mean, well, what would happen if, if 300 people served in a weekend? What would happen if, if this entire church, everybody that's here, if, if we got to a place where we recognize our priestly giftings and every one of us played a part. Let me ask you this question. How many people who do not know God 
would God send to us if this entire church was ready to receive them? A lot. As a matter of fact, let me say it this way. The 287 people that have given their lives to the Lord this year, the 171 that have rededicated their lives, they have done that because of the level of servanthood that we have in this church. Because God will not send more than we can handle. And he won't send less than we can handle. So how do we reach more people? We have to step into our role as a priest. Every single one of us have a part to play in this. In the church world, there are two types of people. There are people who are consumers. We live in a consumer world. You go to Best Buy, you buy a 4,000-inch uh, Vizio flat screen, right? You buy this huge thing. We consume stuff. It's part of our culture. There's nothing wrong with it. And church is no different. We come to church and consume. We get this life-giving message, and, and we have hard times, and, and, those kind of, and we come in, and people love on us and hug us. And imagine if this whole place was full of people that were doing that. See, at some point in your experience with God in the house of God, you have to transition from a place of being a consumer to the second type of person, and that's a contributor. If everybody is a consumer but nobody is a contributor, pretty soon we're going to be done and empty, and that's nowhere near a possibility here because we have such a great church. Today, I want to speak to the people who haven't engaged yet. I want to speak to our potential today. I want to speak to those of us who have kind of sat back and we've been here for six months or we've been here for a year and, and we're setting back and, and we're receiving this, this life, but we have yet to contribute. And here's what I believe is God's best for the people of God in the house of God is that we consume and contribute. We consume and contribute. We consume and contribute. You come and God ministers to you. He does great things in your life. And at the same time, you're helping other people. That we consume the life of God and then we share it with other folks. And this is the story of Haggai and Ezra and Nehemiah over 110 to 120 year span. And they were able to take a city that had broken down walls, that were in ruins, where the people were raided by bandits, where it was under bondage. And they were able to change an entire generation of people. Ezra chapter 9, this is my last point. You guys tracking with me okay? Yeah. Ezra chapter 9 verse 1 says, When these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, The people of God and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the land. Your last fill in today is a heart for the house is a heart that is separated to God. Separated to God just simply means that it's set apart, that it's sequestered, it's sanctioned, it's, it's brought to one place and it is dedicated wholly to God. How you get a heart for the house is a heart that is separated and set apart for God. First and foremost, See, as the story goes, they had not separated themselves from the people of the land. They had married in with people who were not believers. And, and the, because of that, they, they had brought um, pagan worship back into the house of God. They weren't separated. How many of you guys know that we live in the last of the last days? I mean, you don't have to watch the news too often to find out that, wow, we're close. 
I mean, I truly believe that we will be the generation of people that usher in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I mean, you don't have to watch History Channel too often or see Nostradamus uh, documentaries or any of those kind of things to know that even people who don't believe in God know it's coming. If the world who doesn't even know him knows that it's coming, my question is, where are we? Are we living in these days like it is the last days? Are we living like the last day prophets that were called to be, that we would speak the word of God to a generation? Are we living like the last day priests, that we're taking every person we can and pointing them to Jesus? Or are we still about me? Are we living like last day priests that we're separated to God, that our focus is eternal, it's on something that lasts? Are we the people that are going to usher in the return of Jesus? And are we living like that? I believe that a church that understands that and gets that, every person has a place that they're connected. In a church that knows that we are in the last of the last days, every person is serving somewhere because time is short and the people are many. I mentioned this earlier. John, in the book of Revelation, he recorded a message that Jesus sent to seven churches in Asia. The last two churches that he talked about in Asia, they were real churches, but they also are applicable to the church globally in all times and all ages. The last two churches were this. One was a faithful church and one was a lukewarm church. And I believe that you can make a good case out of scripture that the faithful church and the lukewarm church exist at the same time in the last days. Jesus talked about it in the book of Matthew. He talked about separating the sheep from the goats. Now I'm not calling you an old goat today. He talked about separating the sheep from the goats, the faithful from the lukewarm. And we live in those times. We live in those times where there are churches and houses of God where people just go through the motions. Where it's about the programming. It's about the show on the stage. It's about the lights. It's about all of that stuff. And have lost their heart. This series that I'm teaching on having a heart for the house is probably the most important series I've taught all year long. Because it is that heart for the house of God that keeps you faithful. It is that heart for the house of God that, that keeps you from wandering into that lukewarm place, that unfaithful place. You know, the, the problem with the lukewarm church is they don't realize they're lukewarm. it. I believe today God wants to unlock some things in our hearts. Turn the light bulb on for us a little bit. That we would live lives that are separated to God for his purpose, for his people, for the, the lost people of West Palm Beach. Here's my last thing I want to share with you today. Ezra chapter 10 and verse 8. He says this, Whoever would not come within three days to separate themselves according to the instruction of the leaders and the elders, all of their property would be confiscated, meaning their goods would be gone. And they themselves would be separated from the assembly. 
So the people that did not separate themselves to the priestly work of God were eventually separated from the people of God. You should write this down in your Bible somewhere. Either we have a heart that is separated for the house of God or we will eventually be separated from the house of God. Either you have a heart that is separated for him or you're going to have a heart that's separated from him. The devil works feverishly to disconnect us, to separate us, to, to get our heart bent in the wrong direction. Here is the good news, and then I'm done. Let's seek him. Let's serve him. And let's separate ourselves to him so that we can see a generation change. You realize the opportunity we have here. Our church is one of the fastest growing churches in the history of this town. There's so many people that are coming to the Lord. We have such a great team, so many great people. We have an opportunity to see God do something amazing. Revival. God would revive the land and he would rebuild the city. And he would use you in this last generation to make a mark on eternity. A mark on eternity written in the record of heaven. Close your eyes with me today. Father, I bless you today. I thank you, Lord, that while this message is simple, it's also easy to miss. While there's a certain amount of responsibility and weight that rests upon us with this message, Father, I pray that that it would fall on ears of grace today, that, that God, we wouldn't feel... Uh, disconnected or pressure from it, but Father, we would we would sense inside of us a stirring, that we would be stirred up to to do the things that you have created us and called us to do, and we would find our place today, so that we can bring a generation to know you. If you're here today. And you have not found your place yet. You've not found your place of seeking. You've not found your place of serving. You've not found your place of separation. And and this message just is kind of resonating with your heart today. God's speaking to you. He's drawing you. He's he's tugging on your heart to get connected somewhere. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up? Nobody's looking around. Everybody's eyes are closed. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of people. You're not connected, and and you know you need to be. You can put your hands down. Anybody else? God has a place for you, and it is the place that satisfaction is found. I would encourage you, find a life group. Lead a life group. Get on the dream team. They're meeting right now on the inside track, and they're, they're discovering their gifts and talents while we speak right now. I encourage you, go out and sign up in the foyer uh, for the Christmas Eve services. Play a role in ministering to somebody's life. Get connected. Secondly, you're here today, and you've heard me talk about this heart for the house, and, and you think, oh, that's all well and good, and, and, and you're trying to process through some of that stuff. And, and the reality is, is that you've just 
never given your life to God. Maybe somebody invited you here today. Maybe um, God's been working to maneuver you here today. Maybe you saw us on social media or the internet or something like that, but you're here today and you have never given your life to God. Maybe you've known religion, you've known church, but you've never given your heart to God. You can never have a heart for the house of God until you open your heart to God. So I'm not here to answer all your questions. I'm not here to figure out all the theology for you. I'm here to do one thing. I'm here to facilitate your response to the tug on your heart. You respond to what God is tugging on your heart to do, and he'll begin to answer your questions. So my question is, do you have a relationship with him or do you not? And if you do not, I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? Nobody's looking around. You know you don't have a relationship with God today, but, but you want one. You're, you're kind of having this internal battle right now that says, man, I want to know if this God thing is real. Is this God legit up here? Thank you, sir. I'm so proud of you. It takes a lot of bravery to be the one. Who else today? You know God's tugging on your heart. You don't have a relationship with him, and, and you want one today. Who else besides this young man? Right back here in the back row. Thank you, sir. Who else today? Oh, God's got so many great things in store for you. There's so much in, in front of you. You can put your hands down. Anybody else? I love it. Every single weekend, somebody meets Jesus at Generation Church. Here's my last question for you today. You're here today, and your relationship with God is not where it needs to be. You know it's off. It's skewed. It's off-center. It's, it's just been swayed away, and, and today you want to recenter your relationship with God. You want to refocus it. You want to rededicate it. If that's you, would you slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, young sir. You can put your hands down. Anybody that I missed? Okay. Scripture tells us this, that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he is, that he died on the cross, he rose from the grave, and he paid the price for mankind's sin, if you can believe that in your heart and say it with your mouth, that God will give you a relationship. He'll forgive you of all the messed up stuff in life. And you can have a relationship with him. So what I want to do right now is I want to help you communicate with your mouth what's happening in your heart. So if you want a relationship with God, you raised your hand in either of those calls or you want to refocus it. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say it nice and loud. Say, Father God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. Forgive me of my sin and of all of my wrong. And give me a fresh start, a new life with purpose and destiny. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we welcome our brothers and sisters into the kingdom?